6 this morning. Again, that's, uh, that's Luke chapter 6, verses 20 through 26. But before we read uh, a passage, I want to talk to you just about how this is uh, one of my favorite places in Scripture. This is, in Luke, it's called the Sermon on the Plain because he's on a flat spot. In Matthew, it's called the Sermon on the Mount, but it seems like it's kind of the same sermon. And like the teaching Jesus gives in the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Plain in Luke is, is just incredibly uh, radical and countercultural. And I, I love to read it, but uh, I don't really enjoy preaching it. And the reason why is because this is arguably the greatest sermon ever. And so this isn't going to be. You know? And so it'd be like if, if we used our uh, you know, wonderful 12-year-old projector here with a half-burnout bulb and like threw up a picture of the Mona Lisa on this brick wall. Like that's, that's what this sermon is going to be like. It's going to be a poor representation of the original, no matter, no matter how well or poorly it goes. That's where we're going to end up this morning. But it's my hope that as we read the passage, as we talk about the passage, that you're encouraged by the words that Jesus says to us in it. And so last week, right, we finished uh, with Jesus. He called his disciples. He came down off the mountain. He's getting ready to teach. And as he's getting ready to teach, there are these three groups of people around him. There's his 12 apostles that he just kind of called out from his disciples. And then there's a great crowd of his disciples around them. And then outside of that, there's this multitude of people. And so there's these kind of three different groups of people who have three different kinds of relationships with Jesus. And now he sits down to teach them. And so we're going to read uh, verses 20 through 26 of Luke chapter 6 this morning. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we get to to hear Jesus speak to us. We pray that you would send your spirit, the same spirit that inspired Luke to write these words down for us to read. That you would send your spirit to, to enable us to understand your word together this morning. That you would, would cause us to be encouraged by the words of Jesus together this morning. Um, for, for those of us who, who have not yet trusted in Christ, that you would send your spirit to cause us to be warned by Jesus' words this morning. God, we thank you that you sent your son into this world to redeem it, to, to redeem us. And we pray that uh, you would increase our affection for you and who you are and what you've done for us this morning through your word. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So before we get into 
the sermon this morning, before we read Jesus' kind of five blessings, his beatitudes and his, his four woes that he gives to this other group of people, we need to ask a pretty important question, and that is what, is, what is the purpose of the beatitudes, these kind of four statements that he makes, blessed are these people for this will happen, blessed are these people for this will happen, what is the purpose of this? And the reason why I want to bring this up at the beginning is because it, it dramatically affects how we understand the passage and what we walk away from this passage with. And it's because I think it's really easy for us to read through the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God, and to think that he's telling us to do something. You know, like, we need to become poor so that we can then get the kingdom of God. Or we need to become hungry so that we can get satisfied. Or we need to weep so that we will laugh as if it's a if-then promise. You know, we need to do these things to get these other things. But really, that's not what the Beatitudes are about. And the reason why we know that is because of who Jesus is speaking to in this passage. In verse 20, it says, he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said. So Jesus is already talking to his followers. He's already talking to believers. So he's not saying these things to try to convince them to become his disciples. He's not saying these things to try to convince them to become uh, Christians. They already are. He's saying, this is who you are, and because this is who you are, you're going to face these kinds of things, and you're going to get these kinds of blessings. So right off the bat, we should know that we don't really have to do much with this passage. If you're here this morning, you're somebody who's a follower of Jesus, you're somebody who's one of his disciples, you have trusted in him and him alone for salvation, this passage is not telling you to do anything other than be encouraged. So this is a great passage for us, right? We get to hear the word this morning, and then we don't have to really do anything except feel better about ourselves. This is a good passage. But on the flip side... Right? If you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, these promises, these blessings, they don't apply to you. You get the second half of the passage. You get the woes, the warnings. And so if you're here this morning and that's who you are, it's my hope that the Spirit of God uses Jesus' words together in your heart and mind this morning to call you to follow him. You do need to do something with this passage. It is to to be discouraged and then to trust in Jesus and find encouragement in him. So let's jump into verse 20 here. He says at the beginning, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And so the first thing we should ask about this verse is, what does he mean by poor? Who, Who are the poor? Um, Because, you know, even though I would think a lot of us in this room would say that we have less money than a lot of other people in America, we would have to also at the same time recognize that we're not poor by the world's standards. And then we would ask, well, if Jesus is saying that this just applies to poor people, does that mean the people that aren't poor people can't be Christians? I don't think that's what he's saying. I think that here, Jesus' focus in using the word poor is more on uh, a, a theological Um, focus than an economic focus. And the word poor is used that way in Scripture. And so I want to give you a couple examples of that this morning. The first are in the Psalms. In the Psalms, David says this in three different places. Uh, He says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. And I think there's a slide right up there. Um, You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. 
Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. For I am poor and needy, and my heart is stricken within me. David is the king. Right? He's got a whole treasury full of gold and silver and precious jewels and you know, other things that rich people have, which I don't know about. He's got them. David is not poor. But he says in the Psalms in three different places, I'm poor and needy. What he's saying is, I need you, God. You're rich. I don't have what you have. I need you. And Matthew, he helps explain this for us in his version of Jesus' sermon. He says that Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And what's happening there, right, is Jesus, when he delivers the Sermon on the Mount or the Sermon on the Plain, whichever we want to call it, he's speaking in Aramaic. The New Testament was written in Greek, and so Matthew and Luke are taking Jesus' sermon that was spoken in Aramaic, and they're translating it into Greek. And when Matthew translates it into Greek, he thinks about the fact that we're going to wonder what this word poor means, and so he explains it for us. He says it's, he's talking about those who are poor in spirit. And so it's not about our finances. It's not about our economic state. It's about our theological state, it's saying we're spiritually poor. We are, as human beings, spiritually bankrupt. What that means is it means that we cannot do anything to change our spiritual standing before God. We need him to do it for us. And so you hear those people say that, that God helps those who help themselves, right? Like That's not true. Because none of us can help ourselves spiritually. God helps those who can't help themselves. Who recognize that we are spiritually poor. And so when Jesus says, blessed are you who are poor, he's talking about everybody. But really he's speaking to those who recognize the fact that they can't do anything to change their spiritual state before him. His followers who are re realizing that they are poor and needy and are coming before him. And he says that they should be encouraged. They're blessed. They're favored by God. Why? He tells us in the second half of the verse. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. What is so great about the kingdom of God, right? How is that an answer to our spiritual need? How is that an answer to our spiritual poverty? What is so good about that? Why should that be encouraging to us? It should be encouraging to us because the kingdom of God is where everything is perfect. It's where everything that's broken about this world and everything that's broken about us is made right. It's where everything lives and exists in perfect submission to the Father. That's where we want to be. It's in his place, with his people, with his presence, under his rule. But the question that we should ask is, well, what, is that, what does that do about our spiritual need? Because I think sometimes we make the mistake of thinking, once, once Jesus makes us right, once he makes us new, that, that then, you know, we're, we're going to be, we're not going to need him anymore. And I don't think that's true. Right? I think we'll always be poor in the sense that Jesus is talking about here. But the difference is that when we're in the kingdom of God, what is so great about the kingdom of God is that the king is there. The king is God, and he will always exist with us in that place to meet all of our need out of his abundance. The reason why this should be encouraging to us, the reason why the poor are favored is because they get God. And he is rich and he meets our need in his kingdom. 
And so this first promise, this first beatitude is not telling us to become poor. It's not telling us to do anything. It's telling us to recognize who we are before God and what he's going to do about it in Christ. He's going to make all things new. The next beatitude focuses on hunger. It says, blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Since we asked, you know, what does it mean to be poor, we should ask, what does it mean to be hungry? You know, is he talking about food? Is he talking about other stuff? And honestly, I don't know, right? It's probably a little bit of both because we hunger for more things than food. Um, But what's different here, right, in verse 21, blessed are you who are hungry now, blessed are you who weep now, notice the word now, right? These are states that are open to change, for our, our poverty, our spiritual poverty, that's not going to change. He doesn't say, blessed are you who are poor now. Blessed are you who are poor. You're like, that's who you are. But with, with hunger, with weeping, these are states that are going to change. We're hungry now, but then we're going to be satisfied. And so he's recognizing the fact that in this world, in the old creation, we're always going to have hunger. We're going to meet that need, and we're going to need it met again. But eventually, we're going to get to a place where he's going to fully and finally, once and for all, satisfy our need with himself. That's why it's a good thing for us to hunger. It's a good thing for us to have need outside of ourselves because it can be met by Jesus. Right? If we're just fully self-sufficient on our own, we don't need him. But we're not. He hasn't made us that way. He's made us in such a way that we always, will always have need for him. So it should be encouraging to us that we hunger because it means that one day that need is going to be met by Christ. It says, blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Um, The reality in this broken world is that we're going to suffer. Right? No, No matter how much you have suffered in your life up to this point, you're going to suffer more. It it might be none, it might be a lot, but more is coming. Yay. (laughs) You're going to die. Unless Jesus comes back before then, you will die. I will die. All the people that we care about will die. Suffering is going to come. That's part of life in this fallen world. And so we're going to mourn, we're going to weep, we're going to grieve, and that is just the reality of life. Um, But he tells us that we weep now. We weep in this world, we weep in this creation, but we're going to laugh. Um, And it's really important for me and probably some of you to know that this isn't isn't cheap laughter. Um, I have this tendency when... Uh, situations get tense, you know, or a movie gets sad, to immediately make a joke. Because it's a defense mechanism. Right? It keeps me from feeling things I don't want to feel. And this might surprise you, but I don't like feeling and showing emotions, uh, especially sadness. And so I want to make a joke, like I did just then, to stop that from happening so that I can laugh because that's easier. Um, But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about a a cheap joke to protect ourselves. He's talking about real, true laughter, true joy. That's what it's going to be like in the new heavens and the new earth. And the reason why it's going to be like that is because there's not going to be anything to cause us sadness. 
There's not going to be anything to cause us weeping. Listen to what he says in Revelation. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe, every, or wipe away every tear from their eyes. No more weeping. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He's going to do away with anything and everything that might possibly cause us grief and suffering and sorrow and mourning and weeping. There's not going to be any reason for us to weep. That's why he can say, Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. He knows we're going to laugh because he knows there's not going to be anything that will cause us to do anything otherwise. Because he is taking away all of it and making all things new. The former things have passed away. And so when we face suffering in this life, even though we weep now, we should be encouraged because we know that one day we're not going to weep any longer. We know that one day no one is going to weep anymore. So whatever the thing is that's causing you suffering now, whatever the thing is that's going to cause you suffering in the future, remember the truth that Jesus came to make it go away once and for all. He, he died so that no one else would have to face the kind of suffering that we face in this life again. And that should encourage us. That should, should give us joy even in the midst of our weeping. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Next he says, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. So last week, right, when we talked about the 12 apostles, we talked about kind of how their lives ended, the suffering they faced for the gospel. Um, and we're probably not going to face that kind of suffering. But Jesus here in the Beatitude talks about the kind of suffering that we will face. Notice that he assumes that this is going to be the norm for his disciples. He doesn't say, if these things happen. right? He doesn't say, blessed are you if people hate you. He says, blessed are you when people hate you. He's assuming that this is going to be the reality for his followers. People are going to hate us and exclude us and revile us. That means insult us and spurn our name as evil. They're going to talk badly about us and say we have a bad name and a bad reputation. But notice why. Why are they going to hate us? Why are they going to insult us? Why are they going to you know, exclude us? It is on account of the Son of Man. And that is very, 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 very important. The reason why it's important is because you hear Christians all the time say, well, if they don't like us, we must be doing something right. No. They might not like you because you're a jerk. They might not like you because you poorly represent Jesus to them. They might not like you because you take stands on things that are not the gospel and act as if they are the gospel. Jesus says that we're going to be mistreated, but we're going to be mistreated because of him. And so just because people don't like you, don't assume that you're doing something right. You're only doing something right if they don't like you because they don't like Jesus, because they're offended by him or offended by his gospel. Anything else is our fault. But we should be prepared for people 
to hate us because of him and exclude us because of him and insult us because of him and talk badly about us because of him. When that happens, though, Jesus says, rejoice, leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. The bottom line is, who cares if they talk about my name as evil? Who cares if they talk about your name as evil? Our names don't matter. His name matters. And so as long as we are representing him rightly, as long as we are communicating the gospel rightly, we're speaking the truth in love, we're, we're being gracious and generous and both declaring the gospel and demonstrating it before others, it doesn't matter what they say about us. Because we're, we should expect to suffer on account of the Son of Man. And when that happens, we should rejoice, we should be happy because... Number one, it gives us assurance that we really are his followers because he said this is how his followers will be treated. We should be reminded that our reward is great in heaven. It will make up for any suffering we face now. And we should recognize that that's exactly how his people have been treated throughout all of history. And so if people speak poorly of us, we should celebrate it because it means we're in community with a whole host of believers who have gone before us and have been treated the same way. But again... That only applies if it's suffering on account of him. It doesn't make up for us just being jerks. Um, Next, he turns the corner to these, these four woes. And just so we don't make the mistake of thinking these apply to the same group of people, there's a huge, huge but at the beginning of verse 24. But woe to you who are rich. This is when Jesus lifts his eyes up off his disciples and begins speaking to the multitude. He's talking to people that aren't his followers, that haven't yet trusted in him. He's speaking to an entirely different group of people. And he's saying, woe, that's a warning. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Here, right, we should understand rich in a similar way to how we understood poor earlier. He's not talking just about the wealthy. He's talking about those who don't think they have any spiritual need, those people who don't think they need Jesus, who don't think they need God. He's saying, you've already received all the comfort you're going to get from your feelings about yourself. He's saying those who are arrogant and prideful should have reason for concern. They should be warned because they're not going to receive the kingdom of God. They don't get the same thing the spiritually poor get. They get whatever comfort they can find in this life, which, right, we've already talked about, is very, very little. He says, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Right? These people might be satisfied where they're at now. If you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in Christ, you might think your life is great. You get to do what you want, when you want, how you want. You don't have to submit to anybody else. You might feel full now. But know that one day you're going to realize the great need that you have and Jesus will not be there to meet it any longer. He says, woe to you who laugh now. You might be happy with your life now. But mourning and weeping are coming. He says, woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. This is the flip side of verse 22, right? Just because people like us doesn't mean we're doing things well. People like people that lie to them about who they are. Right? We like anyone that says nice things about us. But just because they say nice things about us doesn't mean that it's true. 
There are false prophets all throughout Scripture who did this to the people of God, and they loved them for it. And then they fell under God's judgment. If you're here this morning and you haven't yet trusted in Christ, know that these warnings are Jesus speaking to you, trying to call you out of your life of sin to follow him. Right? He, he does not desire any of these warnings to fall on you. He wants you to trust in him and become part of this first group that gets to be encouraged by this passage instead of discouraged by it. And so if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted in him, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about it today before you leave. Talk to me. Talk to someone around you. Ask them what it means to trust in Christ. Ask them what it means to follow him. Ask them how he has died and paid for your sins so that these punishments don't need to fall on you because he took them for you instead. I would encourage you to trust in him and allow the Spirit to do for you what you can't do for yourself. That's cause you to see him for who he is, cause you to believe in him, and make you a new creation. If you're here this morning and you are a believer, be encouraged. I know that this passage isn't calling us to do anything other than to remember these truths so that when we face suffering, when we face mourning, when people speak poorly of us, we would be encouraged by the truth of Jesus' words. That we would know that it's simply evidence that we are his disciples. That we would be comforted by the words he spoke to us as comfort. I think that often in our lives when we're facing trials or we're, we're struggling, right, we just want Jesus to speak to us audibly, right? We want him to, to tell us that it's going to be okay. We want him to encourage us. We want to, want to know what he would say to us in those moments. These are the things that he would say to us in those moments because these are the things that he said to his disciples in the Gospels. And they wrote them down so that we could read them and benefit from them. The Holy Spirit inspired Luke to write this down so that we could read them and benefit from them. And so if you're here this morning, I would encourage you to, to spend time today, spend time this week uh, meditating and praying on these things and allowing yourself to be encouraged by the truth that Jesus speaks to his disciples. That's you. That's me. I'm going to pray, and then Jason is going to come and lead us in the Lord's Supper this morning. Jesus, we thank you for the promises you, you spoke to your disciples and the promises you speak to us this morning through your word. We pray that you would help us to, to not see our dependence on you as a liability, but to see it as a blessing that's going to result in us being with you in your kingdom, having all of our spiritual need met by you out of your abundance. Pray that our, our hunger, we wouldn't see it as a weakness or an annoyance, but that it would be a reminder of the fact that we need you. We need something outside of ourselves to satisfy us and that you are the only one that can do that. And you promise in this passage that you will do that for us. 
pray that as we suffer now or suffer later, as we, we weep and mourn and grieve, that you would remind us that the brokenness of this world is temporary. It is fleeting and it is passing away. You are making all things new. And that one day we'll weep no more. And that you will fill us with joy and laughter that will have no end. We pray that you would make us faithful servants of you, faithful servants of the gospel, that we would, we would live it and preach it. And that when others mistreat us because of you, we would be reminded of the truth that uh, we're only being treated the way you said that we would be treated. And that we would see it as evidence that we are truly your followers and be encouraged that our reward is great in heaven with you. pray that we would have far, far more concern about your name than ours. And we pray now as we uh, celebrate your life and death and resurrection through the Lord's Supper together this morning, that you would send your spirit to, to prepare our hearts, to convict us of sin, to challenge us, and to enable us to celebrate uh, the Lord's Supper rightly together this morning. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.